application and instruction and comfort and all that comes from your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Psalm 8. I'm going to go ahead and read it. It says, uh, To the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to know dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass, pass through the paths of the sea. And verse 9, he ends the way he began, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. I... Um, if it's not apparent, I personally like the shorter psalms. I like these little nuggets where, you know, you you have it there. It's clear what's being said. You can kind of keep focus on, on what David was, was writing about. And so I really like psalms like Psalm 18. Now I like the, the longer psalms as well. But, but this psalm, we're told, is a psalm that was was composed on the instrument of Gath. Now, Gath, remember, Gath was the hometown of Goliath. And so you wonder, how did David get this instrument of Gath? Now, I'm sure that I, I probably read into the text more than I should, but... But to me, it jumps off the page that it says, not on a instrument of Gath, but on the instrument of Gath. If, if that's the accurate reading, then I wonder if, if the title does not give those who are in the know kind of that, oh yeah, that instrument, that instrument of Gath. Now, when did David get this instrument of Gath? Could it have been when he killed Goliath? Remember the battle there that Goliath comes out and he's taunting Israel? And David takes his five smooth stones and he, and he goes out and conquers the Philistine champion. I got a kick out of, um, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but um, I think it was the week before, we were down here cleaning on Thursdays and I have some of my grandchildren, they're on a rotation basis. And um, it wasn't a Wednesday, a Thursday, it was a, a work day. And so Jan, my grandson Jan was here, and we were working outside, 
And um, the girls were working inside, so they were cleaning up the cafe and getting things ready. And, um, and someone, I think it was Wilder that came out and he said, Papa, um, Lucy or Rory said that they heard someone walking in the building. Someone's in the building. And I said, okay, we'll be right in. So we're on our way in. So I've, I've got my David with me, you know, little Jan. He reaches down before we go into the building and he grabs a handful of <laughs> stones from out here. And so we go into the office and he's got a handful of stones and he looks over at the staff that I have that, that uh, Mike Horn made for me, the staff. And he grabs the staff and he goes, let's go, Papa. You know, I love that, these warrior young men and women. But, but you think, was it then? Was it when, when Goliath was conquered and, and, of course, the Hebrew people began to conquer the, the Philistines? Was that when David, maybe he looked aside and he saw a nice uh, Philistine harp and he said, you know, it was a tailor or something like that. And he picked it up and said, you know, I'm taking this home with me. It could have been then, but I doubt it because remember his hands were full. He had the head of Goliath and he had the armor of Goliath. We're told that he put the armor of Goliath in his tent. We know that a part of that armor, a piece of that armor ended up at the tabernacle, and David got that sword, remember the sword of, of Goliath, uh, but he took the head to another location. So maybe that wasn't the time that he got it. We, we know that from First uh, Samuel, that David and 600 of his mighty men actually went to Gath, which is unbelievable that he would go there of all Philistine cities, he went there, and he actually stayed there for a year and four months. So maybe that's when he picked up this instrument of Gath. It's interesting the way he opens and the way he ends the psalm. O Lord, our Lord. Now in our English language, we look at this and we say, he's just kind of repeating himself, you know. Oh God, great God, you know. No, 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 it's, it's much more than that. O Lord, look at the text, look at the 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 text, the print in, in your Bible, and you'll note that the O Lord is capital L-O-R-D. This is the covenant name for God. This is Yah, Yahweh. Um, this is the, you know, we, we insert the vowels. There are no vowels in the Hebrew language, but we insert the vowels to try to give a easy, um, uh, you know, understanding of the word, not understanding, but a way to pronounce the word. But of course, the Jews didn't even know how to pronounce it, so they would just simply write it out, H, uh, Y-H-W-H. So, O Lord, the covenant God. And then, our Lord. It's a different word. The word here, capital L, lowercase L-O-R-D, means master. So he says, oh, Lord, creator, self-existent one, our master, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Now, um, you'll note, 
not that it's a big deal, but I, I, I find things like this interesting personally for myself, maybe because I have a you know, small brain and I kind of find enjoyment in these small little things. But, but 16 times we see the word uh, you or your, and obviously uh, referencing the Lord. David's focus was completely upon the Lord. And he says, how excellent, how excellent is your name in all the earth. The word excellent, it means large or wide or, or powerful. It suggests splendor and, and grandeur. And you look at this, and we have to consider the fact that we live in this world that David was referring to. And in this world today, presently, we know that there are half a billion Muslims, and uh, they surely do not uh, honor Yahweh. Do you remember when um, the whole 9-11, I mean, we just had the anniversary of it, uh, but the whole 9-11 thing, and there were pastors that talked, uh, you know, as they were teaching from their pulpits and everything, uh, because all of a sudden, Islam was kind of right in our face. I mean, it really wasn't uh, up until 9-11, and then all of a sudden it was something that was a topic of, of most Americans. What is Islam? What do they believe in these types of things? And there were pastors who were saying that Allah is the same as Yahweh. Well, of course, that's not true at all. Uh, uh, Allah is not um, uh, God. He's not the God of the Bible. And so you have, you have all of these Muslims in the world and all is on the throne of their hearts, not the Lord. We have a quarter of a million Buddhists on the earth, and they bow the knee to uh, the various Buddhas, because remember, for them, Buddhas are reincarnated, so you don't have one Buddha, you have, you have many, many Buddhas. And nature, of course, Buddha, Buddhists uh, worship nature, but not the Lord. And then you have a half a billion Hindus, and the Hindus, they worship at the feet of countless idols. I mean, literally countless idols. I mean, the Hindus, they even worship rats and cows. You know, they drink the urine of, of cows. And I mean, it's just really a bizarre thing. So obviously, they're not bowing the knee to the Lord. And so the question we need to ask is this. Was David exaggerating? David says... The Lord's name is excellent in all the earth. Was he exaggerating? Well, in fact, I, I almost wanted to set you up and, and to read it a little bit differently. I wanted to say, is the Lord's name excellent among all the people of the earth? But you know, that's not what David said. It does not depend upon man's acknowledgement of God. That does not do anything to the excellence, to the grandeur, to the splendor of God. If, if no one honored him, if no one bowed the knee to him, that would not take away his, his splendor, his glory, his excellence whatsoever. Of course, David didn't say that the Lord, his name is excellent among all the people of the earth. David said that the Lord's name is excellent in all the earth. What's he referring to? Well, we already know because of the way he opened the psalm. O Lord, the covenant God, 
the self-existent one, the, the creator of all things. In creation, in creation, his name is excellent in all the earth. It's almost as if, because he goes on and he speaks about the heavens, it's excellent in all the earth, but it's also, he says, your glory, you set your glory above uh, above in the heavens, or above the heavens, excuse me, no end. So it's almost as if the earth, earth cannot contain the glory, the excellence of God. And so David, as he's writing this psalm, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's, um, he's you know, being led to write, Lord, your glory is, is not just seen here, but your glory is seen in the heavens, above the heavens. How majestic are you? Now, Psalm 19, Nate taught that psalm a few months ago, and the first uh, few verses of Psalm 19 really speaks of, of the same thing that we're seeing here in, in Psalm 8. Let me read the verses to you. It says, the heavens declare, I like this, it's, they're saying something, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows his handiwork, Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. Look what he said. He said, well, you're not looking at it, but he says, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. I was thinking before coming down here tonight of the earth. I was thinking, you know, we live in the, the great Northwest, and we... Uh, the west side of, of uh, Washington State, of course, I think, from my opinion, I mean, my preference, this is the beautiful side of, um, of, the, of the state of Washington, the evergreen state, but we know it's not evergreen on the other side of the mountains. It's evergreen on this side of the mountains, you know, but, but you look at the glory, you look at the majesty. You, um, you could go down to... The redwoods. You ever have you been through the redwoods lately? Drive through the redwoods. These massive trees, massive, beautiful redwoods. It's interesting. You know, up here when we moved up here, um, everything is cedar up here in the Northwest. So you build decks, you use cedar. We never use cedar in California. In California, everything was redwood. Uh, redwood decks, red, you know, redwood was, was the wood for that type of thing. Up here, cedar. And we understand why, because there's more redwoods there than there are <laughs> cedars. But you, you think of that, the ma majesty of that, you know. Um, I don't know, um, you know, you go out to the desert. When I was a kid, we lived in San Diego, and we would drive out quite often we'd go out to the desert. We'd ride motorcycles out there, we'd just camp out there. And there's beauty to the desert. You know, uh, especially early morning and as the sun is setting. There's just something beautiful about being in the desert. Um, I'm just describing places in the United States. But you think of, you know, places in other countries. Uh, you think of Nepal. You think of the Himalayas. You think of the, um, the rainforest of the Amazon. You think of these places, these gorgeous, beautiful places. And even if they're not beautiful to us, just the vastness of the, of the place. You know, uh, Edward 
many times I'll kind of pick his brain about Australia. I, I think Australia, I don't know, for you, for me, it's always been kind of an intriguing place, a place that, you know, if you had a list of places you wanted to visit, Australia would be high on that list for me personally. But, you know, you look at this, this, this huge country and yet Edward's saying that everyone lives on the perimeter of the country. Very few people live in the interior of the country because it's just too harsh. It's too difficult to live in the interior. So the population of the country of Australia are living on the coastland for the most part. Um, you know, you, you go to Europe and you have various uh, terrains and, and, and all, and, and, and all of it, it's all different and it all speaks of the, of the it declares as, as Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, the firmament show his handiwork day unto day utter speech. Um, you know, he's talking about the heavens, of course, their speech, there is no, uh, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. I think of our men and women that serve in, in the armed services or have served in the armed services. And I, I don't know what it would be like. Maybe you're standing on an aircraft carrier at night, you're looking up into the sky. Maybe you're lonely for your family and you're thinking maybe of your loved one and your wife or husband looking up into that same heavens, of course. They're not going to see the same thing you're seeing depending upon where they're at. But you know what I'm saying. It's just this vastness, this beauty of, of God's creation. And David, as he's writing about these things, he's just taken by them. He's in awe of them. He says in verse 2, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained or established strength. And that word strength there, we'll see in a, a moment here, it could also be rendered praise. Because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Now guys, do you remember <clears throat> that Jesus quoted Psalm 8 after he cleansed the temple in Jerusalem? Uh, right before his crucifixion. Remember, John tells us of a cleansing that he did at the beginning of his ministry, and the other gospel writers tell us of a cleansing he did at the end, or toward the end of his uh, you know, ministry on the earth here. You know what I mean by that. But in Matthew chapter 21, and verse 12, I'll just read it to you. It says, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, and overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, quote from those prophets. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. Listen. And the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. Of course they were. You, you'd hope to read, they were impressed. They were blessed. 
No, they were indignant. They were, they were angry. And said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? And then he quotes Psalm 8. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Guys, don't miss what's happening here. I, I just watched this morning um, a short little video. I make reference of it quite a bit because these guys are a dime a dozen. These men and women who say, never did Jesus claim to be God. Have you heard them? I, you run into them all the time. Never did Jesus claim that he was God. And they really are fools. They are, they are people, they don't know the scripture. They don't even know how to read the scripture. And, uh, you know, the fellow went on to say, well, we don't see him claiming to be God in the Synoptic Gospels, but we do see him claiming to be God in John's Gospel, which was a much later Gospel. And so these things were added, you know, for his followers' sake. But here we're in Matthew's gospel, and by Jesus quoting Psalm 8, he was declaring, I am God. You say, I don't see it. Oh, sure you do. Pay attention. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Who are they praising? Jesus. See, Jesus is declaring that he is God here. And for the, the person who's thinking, and I don't doubt that, that he hoped that the religious leaders, that the scribes and the chief priests would stop and think, if they're praising him, and he's okay with that, then the, <laughs> let me go back to Psalm 8, then the, Enemies that are silenced would be referring to them. They were the enemies. They were the ones that were having issue. So, guys, it's important, you know, to pay attention to how the Lord uses Scripture because many times when he's quoting Scripture, he's in essence, he's saying, not in essence, in reality, he's saying, this is fulfilled in your day. I'm the fulfillment of this. You know, um, it's interesting. David says, from above the heavens to the little babies on earth, my, the glory of God, the excellence of his name, in all the earth, above the heavens. Um, I have a little thing I'm going to read to you. Uh, Whitfield. Whitfield was a um, preacher. He would preach in the open air, and um, George Whitfield, and he wrote this concerning the persecution that he had had experienced as he would go around, you know, preaching the gospel. It says, "Quote: I cannot help." adding that several little boys and girls who were found 
who were fond, excuse me, of sitting around me on the pulpit while I preached and handed me people's notes. So people would actually write down notes. They would hand it to the children. The children would hand it to him, and then he would answer their, their, Bible, their Bible questions. Though they were often pelted with eggs and dirt thrown at me, never once gave way. But on the contrary, every time I was struck, turned up their little face, their little weeping eyes, and seemed to wish that they could receive the blows for me. And then he adds, God, make them in their growing years great and living martyrs for you. Out of the mouth of babes perfects praise. So it is... It is the Lord uh, working in, in, you know, in, in, in the life. He could, he could commit, if you will, his praise, his strength to the little children, and it doesn't do anything to take away uh, his glory, his excellence. Well, David goes on, verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your, your fingers, the moon and the stars, which... You have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him? Now the Bible tells us that, that God spoke creation into existence. But David, he imagines um, God fashioning the heavens and the earth like a, like a master craftsman. Um, I like woodwork. I I like to watch um, shows that has to do with building. Um, you know, there's a big difference between a carpenter, which I was, and a craftsman. A craftsman, you know, can can take <laughs> wood or metal or you know whatever they're working with and they can fashion it into something absolutely absolutely beautiful you know um, I think of I was thinking earlier today how our family and it sounds like I'm boasting maybe I am boasting but our, our family um, <coughs> many of the members in our family are very creative and um, I don't think they were born that way I think they just um, stepped out and wanted to do things you know they wanted to try things and so we have um, some of the ladies in our family they they knit and they crochet and they they make these clothes and and sometimes you know the little girls will show up and they're they're wearing these beautiful sweaters or dresses or whatever, and you go, wow, that's gorgeous. Um, Tosh, you know, just got up to go deal with Jude, and, and Tosh, for years, when she had the time to do it, it's hard to do it with the boys now, but she used to make, um, with woodwork, she would do uh, different cutting boards and, and things like that, bowls and things like that. Beautiful, beautiful work. Uh, some of her woodwork was 
has been in stores, Langley and, and other stores, on island, off island, and she'll, she kind of had her own little business going, you know. Um, I think of, uh, you know, I, when we moved into our house, um, our house was a pretty basic house. I mean, it was a, a, um, a spec home, and so, you know, when it was finished, it was pretty basic. And uh, Trace and I, we, we constantly have these projects. Um, let's do this, let's do this wall, let's do that, let's make this, let's make that, you know. And for me, it's enjoyable because, you know, we never had the extra money when I was raising the kids. You know, lumber's expensive to do these projects. And so I'm really kind of enjoying my, you know, later years of life. And uh, we'll do a wall or we'll... Uh, you know, I made our, our dining room table, and it's a pretty basic thing. I mean, that is the kind of table that a carpenter would build. But uh, some of my um, son-in-laws built tables for their homes as well. And uh, Keegan made a table, and I would, I would go over, and I, I would wonder, why is it taking Keegan so long to make his table? Well, I would go out to the garage and I would look, and the reason it was taking him so long because he didn't use screws or nails or anything else. Everything was was perfectly fit together uh, with these, I mean, just beautiful. I mean, just wonderful. And they just kind of try these things. And I, I think of, you know, that creativity. Where does it come from? Well, it comes from the Lord. It comes from the Lord. David, he imagines the Lord, uh, you know, the, the work of the heavens, your heavens, the work of your fingers. As I was reading that, I was almost picturing, you know, though he spoke it into existence, from, but from David's, you know, as he's pondering these things. Remember that David was a shepherd as a boy, and he would sit out under the stars, and, you know, when you don't have the... Uh, Pollution from the light, the light, uh, you know, pollution, I guess they call it. Oh, man, that's what we used to love about going out to the desert. It, you would just look up to the sky and you'd say, the heavens are vast. They are full. They're absolutely full. Look at all these stars, you know. Look at that planet. Look at this. Look at that. I mean, it's just amazing. And uh, David, that's the kind of sky that he would have seen. And, and I wonder if he's thinking of the Lord just kind of taking a planet and, you know, just kind of throwing it into its location. Guys, there's a purpose in all of my rambling because we live in a time when we're told, we're lied to constantly about global changing, uh, you know, global warming, global cooling, global, you know, and, and the world is going to come to an end. This is why you need to be a person who studies the word. The Bible says that the tides will remain the same. That's how God made them. They will continue to say they know their barrier. And until the Lord removes that barrier, nothing's going to happen. In other words, man is not going to destroy the earth because they're driving their four-wheel drive, you know, big trucks or whatever it might be. You know, God, God is holding all things together. Now, listen, we need to be good stewards and we'll get to that. We see that even in, in David's psalm here, Psalm 8. But we need to be careful that we don't buy into the lie. It's just another attempt to 
pigeonhole humanity so that we're, you know, don't do this and don't do that and it's for the good of this and for the good of that. And we need to say, no, I'm reading my Bible. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says that there will be a new heaven and a new earth only because God destroys the first heaven and the first earth. Not because man does, but because God does. And uh, he destroys it because it, he has no use for it any longer. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. But David, as he's picturing this, he says, what is man that you're mindful of him? It's almost as if he's, well, not almost, he's awestruck. Now, guys, we do this as well. Some people, and I've known some, and I don't think they even realize it, but it's really kind of a false humility. Oh, God's so busy, he doesn't have time for me. It really is kind of a false humility. Or just a statement made out of ignorance that they don't really know the God of the Bible. But I think all of us have felt at one time or another, when you look at the glory of the heavens, the majesty, you know, the, 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 the work of his hands, the work of his fingers, we talk about the work of his hands when we uh, uh, get to verse 6. You kind of say, well, what is man? What is man that he's mindful of, of me? And the son of man... That you visit him. That word visit, it literally means to care for. And then verse 5, David gives the answer. For you have made him a little lower than the angels. The word angels, Elohim. You say, well, isn't that the name? Isn't that a name of God? That we see the first name of God found in Genesis uh, 1. Yes, Elohim. But there are times when the word Elohim is used for angels, and, and, and this is speaking of angels. Many Bible scholars believe this. He's not saying that he made us a little lower than himself, but he made us a little lower than his created angels. Now think of that, because again, you know, I don't know that anyone quotes Darwin anymore, but boy, some of us older folks, that's all we ever heard, Darwin, 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 almost like Fauci, 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 you know. <laughs> But Darwin, he says, uh, we're a little lower than the beast. And God says, no, you're a little lower than the angels. So whose evaluation do you want to believe and live, live by? And, and, you know, and if, we, and, and if we buy into the lie of evolution and, and all of that, I mean, it's no wonder, you know, I've heard it said, you've heard it said, you know, you... You, you say that a person's, you know, a beast or an animal or evolved from the slime. And I mean, don't be surprised if they, they act like they are, you know. But, but we are created by God. We are a little lower than the angels. And not only that, we have been crowned with glory and honor. Think of that. Now, guys, I want you to think of this because if we're not careful, we'll say, that's true of Christians. No. That's true of all people. It's only the believer that appreciates this position 
that God has, has given us, a little lower than the angels. You have been crowned with glory and honor. You know, David, he's wondering, the vastness of the heavens, and here I am, this small, you know, shepherd boy watching my father's sheep, you know, and, and what is man, what is man that you care for him? And I think we feel this way sometimes. Sometimes we feel like we're all alone. We feel like when we need the Lord the most, there seems to be a silence. But do you know, guys, um, we need to remind ourselves of something. We don't hear from God every day. It's amplified when we feel like I need to hear from you now. That, that's what makes it work. But we deceive ourselves, almost like we hear from the Lord each and every day, and, and he's got, you know, that now go down here and do this and do that. And that's not true. It's just not true. I wish it was. That'd be glorious if it was. But, but, um, but it's those times when we feel like, Lord, I need to hear from you. Oh, I'm in desperate need. And then there's the silence of God. So what do we do with this? Well, I think <laughs> the safe thing to do, the smart thing to do, is that we continue to walk by faith regardless of what we're experiencing or not experiencing. You know, I was, uh, I think I was talking to Jim, we were talking a few days ago, and I said, you know, we have, in life, we have so many unanswered questions. But what do we do with those unanswered questions? Well, we don't let them become a roadblock for us to where we just cannot move forward. Some people do that. We just kind of take those unanswered questions, we kind of push them behind us and say, until further information, you know, until further information. In other words, we believe what we know to be true of God. The things we don't understand doesn't become a stumbling block causing us to not believe in him. We just simply say, I know this to be true of God. Again, he, he says that, and the Son of Man, that you visit him or you care for him. He, he cares for us. It literally means to give attention to. He gives attention to us. First Peter 5, 7, casting all your care. The word care is distraction and concern upon him for he cares for you. What does that look like? You're going through it. You're going through a difficult time. David should, could surely relate to this, couldn't he? I mean, he had, he had many foes, many foes. Even his family were foes at time. His brothers were his foes when he came there to deliver the cheese and the bread to the captain, you know, and, and to ask, you know, what's going on here? Who is that giant, you know, of a man and... His brothers mocked him and thought the worst of him. His father-in-law had no love for David. I mean, he was such an unstable man. Uh, Saul was, you know. I mean, I love you, David. I hate you, David. I'm going to kill you, David. Oh, David, you're better than me. I mean, he, he, he was all over the map, you know. But David had to live with this. Cast your cares. Cast your care upon him for he cares for you. I think we need to consider verses like this, and there are a number of verses like this in a very practical way. 
Lord, I'm fretting. Lord, I'm concerned. Lord, I'm worried. Lord, I just give this to you. Take this, Lord. You're driving down the road, maybe a mile, and they come creeping back in. Lord, Lord, I just, I'm, this is too big for me, Lord. I can't, I don't know what to do with this, Lord. Here, I give this to you. It's just constantly casting upon the Lord. You know, Psalm 8 doesn't tell us this, but but not only does the Lord visit us and, you know, he cares for us, he, he gives us attention, he shows us attention, but he loves us. And, of course, we see this throughout the scriptures. 1 John 3.16. Isn't it interesting that 1 John 3.16 and John 3.16 are similar verses? It says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And then it goes on. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish. It's the laying down. It's the giving. So compared to the vastness of the heavens, the stars, the heavenly host, <laughs> David ponders what is man. And the fact of the matter is, is that God is more concerned about souls than he is about stars. So we're lied to all the time. He's more concerned about people than he is about planets. His estimation of us, a little lower than the angels. Well, he goes on and he says, you have made him, man, humanity, to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Where do we get that? Genesis chapter one, <laughs> very first chapter of the Bible. Now, again, we need to be good stewards of what we have, right? But we're not, we're not slaves to creation. That's what the world, that's what the governments of the world, the people in, in power, you know, of the earth, they want, us, they want us to become slaves to the world, you know. Oh, we're going to destroy the world. We're going to destroy this and destroy that and everything else. And, and it's like, you know, when God is not in the equation, everything looks very bleak, very dark. But when you know the scriptures and you read the scriptures and you say, I believe what the word of God says. The, the oceans are not going to, you know, <laughs> flood over Whidbey Island. Until, book of Revelation, the islands sink into the, <laughs> into the ocean. See? So you say, that's coming. That's coming. But it's not here yet. So we're not worried about that, see? So we have this perspective. Guys, you, you've got to appreciate the place, the position, the calling, the crowning, the establishing of God for his creation. He goes on and he describes the sheep and the oxen, you know, he gives them as kind of a reference. That's something that they'd understand. And then he ends the same way he begins, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. 
It seems almost too good to be true, but it is. The truth shall set you free. That's a verse that's taken out of context a lot, isn't it? The truth shall set you free. But, you know, we live in a world full of lies. So either the world is telling us, you're not a sinner, you know, you, uh, you're good, you're, you're born good, and, uh, you know, you just become bad as, as, you know, as you grow and you begin to do things that are against God's law. Uh, some would not even acknowledge God's law. They would say, well, what is good, you know? I mean, you think of how perverse the world is. If someone would have told me <clears throat> three years ago, uh, that we're supposed to believe things that are absolutely ridiculous. That if a, if a boy thought he was a girl, he is a girl, that that boy could have a period, a menstrual period, that that boy could one day nurse a child. I mean, all of these things. And you just look and you say, this is insanity. I mean, this really is. But, but we live in a, in a time where you speak out and you say, that's crazy, that's insanity, and oh man, they want to shut you down quickly. But you know, guys, that's how the enemy works. He's a liar, and, and uh, you know, he kind of throws these things out. So, you know, three years ago, COVID. You know, it's going to kill us all. And um, we need to shut down 15 days. And we'll restart, we'll get going again, and, and all of this. And we look back, and, and you know, you'd have to really be blind not to see what was happening. From our perspective today, we look and we say, oh man, look at this. Now, COVID was global, but, but each country used COVID to their own advantage. I mean, really, you, you just got to pay attention. Israel used COVID for its own advantage. Europe, throughout Europe, the UK, they used COVID for their advantage. The United States of America used COVID for their advantage. And they all differ a little bit, but they all kind of fit into the kind of this global mindset, you know, we're going to deceive the nations. So lie after lie after lie after lie. And people get the vaccinations. Now we have another reality that we're facing. But again, don't address it because it, uh, you know, you, you'll be shut down. Why is it that we have these young people that are dying of heart attacks? Whoever thought of such a thing? Blood clots and things like this and... And, and you say, and, and more and more information is coming out. You know, there was a, a fellow, um, anyway, I won't go into all that. You guys know all that stuff. You say, why are you even talking about it? Because it's, it's all coming back. So, you know, how will we deal this time around? 
Three years ago, churches were shutting down, refused to open. Some churches didn't open for a year. God's word says not to forsake the gathering together. Hebrews. So who do we believe? The world or God? Christians are saying, and, and from really some of the leaders within Christianity, they played into the hand of the corporate head, the lying head. So we had some of these leaders saying the very same thing that Fauci and the government was saying. And I'll tell you, that's when I lost respect for some of these, these Christian leaders. And I thought, why are you doing this? You should not be saying these things. We heard the rhetoric, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? So here we are again, and all of this information is coming out, and yet people act as if the information is not there. It, again, it's like the lie of uh, you know, a transvestite that can have a menstrual period or, or, or whatever, you know, and, and you just say, what is wrong with people? This is insane. And the fact of the matter is, is that these types of things cause people great fear, right? So if it's not the COVID threats and the mask and all of these things coming back, it's food shortage. Is it hype? I don't think it's hype. I think it's part of the agenda. Guys, listen. If we know what the Bible teaches in the book of Revelation, I mean, when we, we look at this uh, cryptocurrency and 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 all of the things that are happening and these, you know, the, you know, our 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 dollar is is in in jeopardy and and the way we purchase and, and all of these things. I mean, if we if we know what the book of Revelation says and teaches, we know what what is coming to a one world government, a one world currency, a one world religion. Well, this is what the book of Revelation teaches. So crystal clear. So what do we do? Do we wring our hands in fear? No, we do our due diligence, you know. I, I think, you know, maybe you should put some food away, have some extra. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't think there's ever anything wrong with that. It's not a lack of faith to do your due diligence. But do we wring our hands? Is I just can't, I can't stand another COVID. I'm not going to make it this time. Or do you continue to live? And you say, I'm embarrassed how I reacted last time, but I'll tell you what, I'm not going to do that this time. I'm not going there. We are... created a little lower than the angels. He cares for us. For the believer, we are the bride of Christ. Think of that. The bride of Christ. I 
I could never imagine, I am extremely protective with my children, my grandchildren, my wife. I could never imagine saying to my wife, well, honey, you're on your own. <laughs> Watch your back out there. No, I'm, I'm concerned for her welfare. I'm, I'm going to care for her. I am a man who believes that Jesus could come back at any time, but I'm also a man who is doing his due diligence so that if anything happened to me, my wife is cared for, my bride is cared for. Thing. And I'm a human. And there is this lie that that the church, that the believer, we're somehow, we're just kind of out here on our own and, and we're going to go through the worst of times and, and you know, it's going to be horrific and, and um, you know, and, and it just is stealing the hope that, that people have in the Lord and in his care for us and in his imminent return for his church and, and his taking us to that place that he prepared for us. There's like these thieves all the time, all around us, trying to rob us of the peace that he wants us to have. And so we need to be people who believe his word. We read it and we just simply say, I believe it. I don't see it, Lord, right now, but I believe it. I believe what you say, Lord. I believe that as your word says, I'm not subject to the wrath of God. So I'm not going to go through the wrath of God. I believe it, Lord. You see? But we're also people who know the word of God, and we know that we're promised persecution. So when persecution comes in difficulty, we don't throw our Bibles down and say, God, he let me down. No, no, we understand what the Bible says. We're not exempt from persecution. We're not exempt from sickness. We're not exempt from hardships. That is such a lie. And, and there's, a, there's a segment of the church that's constantly lying about that, and they're chipping away at the faith and the confidence of God's people. Because God's people, they're not standing upon the word of God. And they're fretting, they're wringing their hands. Guys, Mario, I think you said it or you prayed it that you will not, you, that Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. And you said, thank you that you've, you've given us your Holy Spirit. And, and surely that's what he meant. I've, I've given you the comforter. I've given you the guarantee of your redemption. I've given you, um, if you will, the engagement ring. You know, I'm not one of those guys that's going to be engaged to you, you know, for 30 years and never really come around to doing anything. No, no, no. I am committed to you. I am betrothed to you. You are my bride. Um, we need to find our comfort in him. We need to stand firm in him. We need to be people who read the word of God and we ponder what the scriptures are saying. 
We need to be people, rather than looking at the scriptures and saying, well, they, they never went through what, what I went through. Rather, we should look at the scriptures and say, look what they went through. I never went through that. I never went through scary times like, like they've gone through. And, and yet the Lord was faithful to them. So, the Lord says that in the last days that there will be an apostasy of falling away. See, guys, there's, there's all these things. The scripture deals with so many different things, and so we need to look at these things, and we need to make our decisions. We need to prepare ourselves. We prepare ourselves by believing, present tense. We're not giving in to, to fear, mongering, you know, but we're standing upon the truth of God's word. Guys, we live in the strangest of times. Famine is mentioned by, by, by people today, by the experts today, famine. Nuclear war is mentioned. Russia, they, you know, Putin just met with Kim. <laughs> you know, the nuclear war. I mean, you look at all these things, and it's no wonder people can't sleep at night if we're not finding our peace in the Prince of Peace. I'm yours, Lord. I'm yours, Lord. Help us, Lord, to make our home truly a refuge of peace, a place where your word is read and believed and applied. And we pray, Father, for those that are fearful, maybe for lack of knowledge of your word, Pray, Father, that you would help us to have a settled, established faith in you. That we would believe. That we'd stand firm. That regardless what comes down the pike, we would, we would open up our Bibles and say, well, what does God say about this? That we would not approach our Bibles as if it's just an ancient book that's not applicable for our day today. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.